Good morning. It really is a privilege. I'm on, yes? Yes? really is a privilege to be here with you this morning. Um, I've got to say, I've been so impressed. I was impressed with the welcome I received. I mean, the stewarding here is excellent. There's, there's, the, o- the only spare seat we got was next to me. I don't know why, that, but... Um, and the music has been absolutely great. I just thought to myself, the, yes, the music. I thought the only thing that's going to let this service down is me. No, oh, you've not heard me yet. I was so impressed with you. There was a song that was sang earlier about thirst and drinking. I've just asked if the group could sing that again because it fits in with what I want to share this morning. And I promise you, however long this song takes, I'll knock it off the sermon. All right, if you would sing it for me. Oh, for the Lord, I mean. Let's stand together. Lord, I am thirsty, thirsty for your presence. Lord, I'm hungry, hungry for your word. Lord, I need you more than ever, more than this world can give. You are the fountain.
we bless your name. Thank you, Lord. Our Father, we thank you this morning that you are available to us. We want more of you, and you want us to have more of you. We thank you, Lord, that we cannot ever find ourselves satisfied with you. There's more and more. And we pray, Lord, now, as we turn to your word, you might breathe upon it. As you turn Adam into a living man, as you turn that valley of dry bones into an army, will you breathe upon us, Lord, and cause us to hear your voice and to change. We want to be more like Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. I sat there early and I thought, you know what? I'd love to preach here. And then I realized I was. It's really great to see you, and uh, it really is nice. I became a Christian in West London at South Harrow Full Gospel Church. I was living in Norfolk. I went to school in Greenford for a little while. I left school early. I left at lunchtime. Uh, the headmaster felt that was enough. Um, but I, came, I became a Christian, and I went to a Bible college, and it's been great just to... Um, be able to serve the Lord. It really is good to see you all. Okay, if you have your Bibles, if you'd be kind enough, please, to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 7. John's Gospel, chapter 7. Now, when uh, Pastor Colin comes back, he will probably ask you how I got on. Now, what I'd like you to say is this. I'd like to say, he was very good, but not as good as you. Because uh, he's a little insecure around me. And I uh, want you to be kind to him. So... Um, <laughs> He phoned between the services just to make, sh make sure I had arrived, I think. So that's great. So John chapter 7, I'm going to read verse 14, just one verse, and then I'm going to jump across to verse 37. Verse 14, not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. Verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, remember the song? If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his word, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. Still others asked, How can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scriptures say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid their hands on him. Amen. May God bless his word. Very good. This feast that we've read about was the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a feast that lasted for seven days. And I read verse 14 because Jesus went up halfway through the feast. Now that didn't mean halfway through a day, but actually halfway through the week. And then we come to our key verses. It says on the last day of the feast. Now those days are important. John records them for us so that we can understand the progression of what was happening. 
The Feast of Tabernacles was one of three major festivals. They had many that the children of Israel celebrated. They were God-given festivals. We find them back in the Old Testament, in Leviticus and in Exodus. The three main feasts were there was the, the Passover. Many of you will know about the Passover. That's when God, when the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt, he... Um, the blood of a lamb was placed on the door and it was called Passover because death would pass over the house where the blood was shed. Then there was the feast of Pentecost, which we remember because as a Pentecostal denomination, we take a name from that, the day when the Holy Spirit came upon the church in Acts 2. And then there was the feast of Tabernacles. This was a very important feast for the children of Israel. It was a joyful occasion. Many of the feasts that Israel had were very reflective. The Day of Atonement and other days were days when they had to look within and seek to put matters right. But the Feast of Tabernacles was a joyful occasion. We're told, in fact, in, the, in Leviticus 23, 42, it says, um, um, sorry, um, all, sorry, I've lost my verse there. It was, sorry, yeah, it was in, they would rejoice before the Lord for seven days. Seven days of rejoicing. Some of you look, you struggle with seven minutes. Could you, could you smile at me, please? If you don't, I'll start at the beginning again. Thank you. They had to rejoice before the Lord for seven days. So it was a happy occasion. It really was a joyful occasion. There were certain aspects to it. In, Levit in Exodus 23, 16, it was called the Festival of the Ingathering. Leviticus 23, 39, the festival of the Lord. As I said in verse 40, they were to rejoice before the Lord for seven days. It also says in Exodus 23, 17, that all the men were to appear before the sovereign Lord. So this was a very special feast. Seven days in length, representing partly a, the festival of the ingathering. It would be to have a harvest aspect to it, but very much a joyful joyful occasion. Um, in Leviticus 23, it's called the festival of the Lord, as I mentioned, the festival of the ingathering. So the people would gather, the men would have to be present. Some commentators say every man within 20 miles had to be there, some 10. Well, you decide, it's not that crucial to this. But it, the city was heaving. It was a very exciting time. People were rejoicing. It was a very happy time. Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, said it was the holiest and greatest festival among the Jews. And so we find that this is the festival, this is the celebration that Jesus is coming to. We are told in Leviticus 23, 42, that the people had to live in booths. Now, that's not a telephone booth. They had to build with branches a, a, a place where they had to stay. In other words, for example, in this corner, they would get branches and leaves and they would build a shelter and people would stay there. This was God said, I want you to live in these booths because I want you to remember when you were in the wilderness as a traveling people. And so the whole city would have been heaving with people, joyful time, seven days festival, people living in booths all around the place. It was absolutely heaving. And then as the centerpiece of this, in fact, the altar itself would be covered with a canopy of branches and leaves. If you'd come up from the countryside, this would be a very spectacular thing, very living and very vibrant for you. 
It would be coming to the city, as we'd say today, and seeing the lights, but there were no lights. But the whole spectacle, seeing the temple and the priest, a very powerful time. And it's in this situation that we find Jesus comes up halfway through these seven days. Not to a solemn assembly, but to a joyful assembly. Now, the centerpiece of this festival was a, a ceremony that would take place. The priest, possibly the high priest, would come, and he would get a golden uh, jug. And he would go to the pool of Bethesda, and he would draw water out of it, and he would carry it through the city. Now, the people would absolutely rejoice and be happy at this, because this water was destined for the altar. And this water, as the priest would carry it through, the people would see it, they'd be shouting and cheering and clapping as this went past. They would be quoting scripture. They would sing the words, with joy you shall draw water from the wells of salvation. That says the priest came through the water gate, carried it through the temple and poured it out upon the altar as an offering to the Lord. And that was the centerpiece. So if you had gone to Jerusalem then, you might be involved in a lot of things, but that's what you'd want to see. You'd climb a lamppost. There weren't any lampposts. Just some, you might have got on the back of a camel or had a look, you know. But they would be wanting, they'd be stretching to see the priest come. They'd want to watch the water and they'd hear the noise as he would come through the city. There'd be a bit of noise over here and it'd spread and he's on his way, he's on his way. And, you know, they would be stretching and climbing just to see it. And then, no doubt, a cheer would go up as the water is poured out on the altar to the Lord. Now, on the last day, it's called the last and greatest day of the feast. Something happened. We're told in 37 that Jesus went up halfway through to this very joyful occasion. He was aware of it. For a couple of days at least, he had been present when the high priest had taken the water through the city. But now something was happening on the last and greatest day of the feast. What made it the greatest day was that for every other day, the people would have marched round Jerusalem carrying branches and palms. You'll remember Palm Sunday when Jesus rode in? Very similar. That wasn't an isolated thing. They would have done that at the Feast of Tabernacles. And a little bit of controversy as to whether the high priest... You'll realize that in Scripture, what started out in Exodus and Leviticus was added to Leviticus... Uh, rabbinical law etc other things came in so it was a little bit of debate whether the high priest on the last day went round seven times with the water or the people marched round seven times they certainly did that that was again to remember the fall of jericho when they marched round the city of jericho so the things were building up people were getting excited people were looking forward to this because it was they, they could march around seven times possibly the high priest they'd have seven opportunities i think possibly my landing is on that the people marched seven times very very joyful the high point of it and then we come to what jesus said it says there on the last and greatest day of the feast Jesus stood and said in a loud voice. Jesus interrupted this very special occasion. This 
event that has found in Leviticus and Exodus. Jesus took the liberty to interrupt it. It would almost be like interrupting a royal wedding, shouting out. It would almost be like, you know, just breaking into something. Um, for a number of years, I pastored a, a, a local church, and I've conducted lots of weddings. And, um, you know, in the wedding service, the minister has to say, if anybody knows any just cause why these two people may not be joined in matrimony, may he speak now or forever hold his peace. Do you know, I've never had anybody shout out. I, in fact, I used to want it to happen. <laughs> I used to, I think, in fact, I'd say, does anybody know, let him now forever speak or ever hold his peace. And I'd wait. And then they'd bring me a flask of tea and sandwiches. And, but no one ever... It would be like that. Someone shouting at your wedding. He's got a wife in Timbuktu. Is there, any, no, please, is there anybody here from Timbuktu? Because if you are, could we see your marriage license, please? It, was, it wasn't the done thing. It was like going into St. Paul's Cathedral today and in the middle of something just shouting out, you don't do it unless... You're the Lord of the Feast of Tabernacles. Unless you're the one who the Feast of Tabernacles had been foreshadowing for thousands of years, year after year, people were watching the water being poured out and they were waiting for someone to say in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. Now, then you can interrupt. You can interrupt your own wedding, as it were. You can interrupt your own party. Jesus wasn't interrupting. Jesus wasn't being rude. He wasn't being disrespectful. What he was saying was, what you've been doing has been all right, but you don't need to do it anymore because I'm here. And as important and as spectacular and as moving as that ceremony would have been, I tell you what, We'd rather have the real thing, wouldn't we? We'd rather have him. So, with a loud voice, he deliberately wanted to draw attention to himself. So on that last and greatest day of the feast, he said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty. Now in the first service, we had an intelligence test. Now I've got to say, they didn't do very well. No, honestly, they didn't really. And the, this is, I'd like to give you the same intelligence test here. So I have to look up here because, well, maybe not. Um, you know, um, and the intelligence test is it. If Jesus said, if anyone, who was he excluding? No one. You've passed the test. But some of you don't believe it. If I said to you, everybody in this service except one's going to be blessed, you're sitting there going, oh, why me? Now, that's not a spiritual problem. As I said in the first, I think it has to do with the weather, that we tend to be a bit depressive. You know, it's everybody else is going to be blessed. I remember at the conference when we used to have multiple services, I was always in the wrong service. Revival was breaking out in this service. Did I use the revival word? Moving on. Um, and, every, and I'd be in the wrong... Friends, let me tell you. You are included. You up there, you up there, you up there, you down here. 
you are included in if anyone. You say, well, I'm not very rich. Does it mention money? I'm not very clever. Does it mention intelligence? If anyone is thirsty. Um, you know, this will shock you, but there are places where I, I'm not accepted. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Say yes. A bit louder. Thank you. And uh, I was just telling the first service that um, Kay, that's my wife Kay and I, we were on holiday in the south of France. Um, it's strange, whenever Colin's there, I'm here, and whenever I'm there, he's here. I think he's trying to avoid me. I really do. And uh, we went to Cannes. We've been three times, and um, on the first visit we went, um, we, we went to visit Cannes for the day, and there's a very posh, posh, you know the word posh? Very well, upmarket hotel. Uh, I can't remember if it's the Carlton or the Grand, but it's, it's where all the film stars stay for the film festival, Cannes Film Festival. And I said to my wife, outside there were Maseratis, Ferraris, beautiful cars, a bit like the staff car park here. <laughs> and um, I think that rang a note, fellas. I think you need to downgrade. Okay. Um, <laughs> and um, I said to my wife, I'm going to get in this hotel. I thought, I'm going in. Come from Norfolk, you know, I've still got a bit of the chat. You know, I ain't scared, you know. And um, so I, I started to walk up the path. And on the door, there was a fellow. He wasn't a bouncer, I don't think. Bouncers, we, we were out in Derby in the middle, and in Yorkshire, the bouncers, oh, just, they have lady bouncers in Yorkshire. Lady bouncers. Anyway, um, he's on the door. He's very smart. Not a big, muscly guy. In Derby, the bouncers are huge, big fellas, you know. The, the, the idea is that by the time you've run round them, you're too tired to do anything. <laughs> they can grab hold of you. But this fellow looked, actually looked a bit like Colin. Very slim and fit-looking, you know. And um, I, he's standing there at the door, and I'm walking up the path to this, the ground or whatever it is, and he just went like this. He went... And that was all. So, realizing that I'm not quite as in good condition as I used to be, I retreated. I realized I wasn't. I tried to think, well, why would he not let me in? Does he not know I'm an Elam minister? Yes. Friend of Colin dies. You know. Um, I haven't got a Ferrari yet, but we're on the way. You know. And... Uh, then I realized that he might have seen me get off the bus. Because <laughs> we go to the south of France on the train, and we get the bus and the train around. And then, then I realized I was wearing the same shorts I wear at the Elam Youth Camp I work at. <laughs> which, although I fight, were fetching in the 60s, may not be such a fashion garment today. Well, he was every right, but... I've got to say this in case my wife gets the tape or the TV of this. This year we went back, we got in because she was with me. Just shows you in our house who looks like they've got the money. You know. The point of the story is this. When Jesus said, if anyone, he actually meant it. You're sitting there thinking, oh, Jesus wouldn't want me because I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other. Let me tell you, he means what he says. 
If you walk towards him, he'll never do this. He'll always do this. You will be welcomed in that way. And then, of course, just reading on, he says, if anyone is thirsty, a universal invitation. Uh, one commentator says, now a universal need. Thirst was something very real. In Jerusalem on that day, people would have been thirsty. It was hot, crowds, it really would have been present. And he calls out, if anyone is thirsty. Is anyone thirsty? Sorry. The only thing wrong with this is there isn't a tea bag in it. Now, I said that in the first service, but no, nothing's happening. He said, if anyone is thirsty, does that mean for water? Does that mean for tea or coffee? No. If anyone is here in Jerusalem, and you're looking at this spectacle, you're joining in, you're watching the priest, you're rejoicing the people, you're saying... With joy we shall draw water. But there's still something missing. I'm here. When the religion, when ceremony have run its course, they will never satisfy till you meet the Savior, till you meet the Lord. And so he comes and said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. And then he says, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, now, we can run over that if we're not careful. You see, we do not have the right to draw or put together an identical kit of Jesus, the bits we want. Jesus said, if you want the living water, if you want a drink of me, you've got to believe in me as the scriptures have said. We just can't make it up. I met somebody once who told me that they said Jesus was an astronaut from another planet or something. Well, I don't know about you. I think he needs more faith than I do. I believe that, but we can't do it. The scriptures say who he is. Born of the Virgin Mary. He was born in Bethlehem. Nazareth went to the Jordan, was baptized, healed the sick, raised the dead. We know what the scriptures teach. And Jesus is saying to the crowd, look, I don't want you to accept me just for what I'm saying now. Look at the scriptures. Examine the scriptures. Look for me in the Passover. Look for me in the tabernacle. Look for me in the Day of Atonement. Look for me on the mountain where Isaac was going to be sacrificed. Look for me in the scriptures and you will realize I am he. Don't take my word. Read the book. Friends, we've got to read our Bibles more. We really have. You're a great ministry in this church. But let me tell you what. They're running uphill if you're not reading your Bible during the week. They really are. It's important you read your Bible on your own. If I said this morning God had told me, well, that would be a surprise. But if I said to you this morning that God had told me there was someone here who's a rotter, you'd say, I know who that is. But if you're reading your Bible on your own, and God says, there's a rotter here, you know he's talking to you. And I'll tell you what, I'd rather God talk to me in private than talk to me in public, wouldn't you? I'd rather God corrected my life for the quiet word in my devotions, in prayer or in reading scripture, than find myself in some crisis because I didn't do what the book said. And so he comes and he says to the people quite simply, if anyone is to come to me and drink, whoever believes in me as the scriptures have said, 
Streams of living water will flow from within him. He's saying, you've watched a man go to a pool, pick up water in a golden vessel, carry it through the city, pour it on an altar. And he's saying, that can happen from within you. Wow. What you've seen externally, what you've rejoiced at and clapped at and cheered at, let me tell you now, that is just a picture of what can happen to you. You are that picture. You are full of the Holy Spirit, and out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I tell you what, I wouldn't mind some more of that, would you? I've had some of it. I want some more of it. Streams of living water flow within him. By this he meant the Spirit whom they believed in him were later to receive. That condition is to believe in him. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, this caused some controversy. First of all, he'd interrupted this very important religious service. This festival that had been going on for seven days, this festival had been going on for hundreds of years. This had been happening in Jerusalem. And now, someone has the audacity to interrupt Obviously, it caused some controversy. Verse 40, on hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Well, that was good. They recognized a spiritual dimension to him other than the carpenter from Nazareth. Others said, he is the Christ. And with that, we rejoice. Wow, his words were so powerful. The Spirit of God was so upon him. That the crowd, some of them said he's a prophet. Well, that's good. But others got it right. He is the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for is here now in our midst. And then somebody pipes up with a problem. There's always one around. Still others asked, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Now, I can't be too hard on these people because they were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. He said, believe on me as the scriptures have said. So what they did, they took what they were seeing and hearing, they put it up into the scriptures, and a red light came on the dashboard, a warning light came. He can't be Messiah. He can't be the chosen one. He can't be the Savior because he talks with the wrong accent. And I think it came down to that. Now, if you don't agree, I won't be back again. So, you know, they didn't agree. You see, when Jesus spoke, he spoke with a, a, an accent from Nazareth. Now, you won't believe this, but I was born in Glasgow. I lived in Scotland till I was 11. But there is no trace of a Scottish accent, is there? None at all. So, if to be a regional superintendent in Elam, you have to be Scottish or born in Scotland, you'd all say, Gordon's not eligible, because listen to how he talks. Now, my West London accent has changed. So I've, I left... Um, Northolt when I was 17, which is a long time ago, to go to Bible college, but my accents changed a bit. My daughters used to say that when I got cross with them, I'd go back into London. I'd say, get up them stairs. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a 
of course, that, that was only to wave them goodbye. If there's any social workers here, it was just a, come on now, children. Get oh, sorry. Don't hit me with your leg. So, you see, I'm not eligible. You're all sitting there. I think Gordon can't be a regional superintendent because he don't talk like with a Scottish accent, do I? Right. But I was born in Scotland. I lived there till I was 11. I think the same thing was happening. They're saying, he's the Messiah. See, but he can't be. If you listen to his voice, he's got a London accent. He's supposed to have a Scottish accent. And he's Scots people here. That's a bit early, isn't it? Yeah. All right. They don't get up early. It's a bit cold in Scotland. A bit cold in Scotland. They stay in bed till... Well, they stay in bed, not say put the eating on. Um, sorry. <laughs> any Scottish people around, please do not burn my house down. Right. <laughs> and they didn't recognize it. Now, that, I've made it sound slightly humorous that way, but this was very serious. Because they were making an assumption that was going to rob them of salvation. They thought his voice doesn't sound right. Doesn't it say he should come from Bethlehem, but he comes from Nazareth? Now, sometimes we don't recognize who Christ is because we have a misunderstanding of who we are. And very simply, we're all sinners and we need a Savior. And for those of us who are Christians, we're still sinners and we still need the Savior. So we're all in the same boat here. But they had some wrong information about Jesus. That was all. That, that was all. They weren't bad people. They were doing what he said. If, believe in me as the scriptures have said, if only someone had stepped forward and said, hang on a minute, he is from Bethlehem. That's where he was born. But he was brought up in London, but he was born in Glasgow. Then the difference would be there. And sometimes, you know, we can miss out because we don't understand the scriptures or there's something we don't understand about Christ. And if you're not a Christian here, may we just say to you, you're most, most welcome. I must say this, if you are a visitor, you must come back next week because if you don't, Colin will blame me. <laughs> he will, so please come again. Please, please, or I'm in trouble. I'm already in trouble. I'll be in more trouble. Please. You see, those of you who aren't Christians, all that might be stopping you is you just have some misinformation about him. You think he's from Nazareth. Well, he's from Bethlehem. You might have some thought about him. And we'd love a chance to talk with you afterwards and to give you whatever it is. If you say, well, it's this thing that's stopping me giving my life to Christ. Then we'd like a chance to talk to you about it. Because if you think he's from Nazareth, we want to tell you he's from Bethlehem. You say, well, I'm not sure about this. Give us a chance. Because this is too important to be lost over an accent or a voice or misinformation. Almost there. It says there, thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some said he's the Messiah. Some said he isn't. Some wanted to seize him. They felt he was being blasphemous. 
Seizing him would probably have meant stoning. But no one laid their hand on him. The crowd were divided on this man. They weren't divided when Stephen was martyred, but they were divided now. And no doubt in a congregation of this size, there are folk who haven't made their mind up yet about Jesus Christ. You're thinking, well, Gordon, why should I give my life to him? Let me tell you why you should give your life to Christ. Because he died on the cross for your sins. He took your place on the cross that your sins might be forgiven. Just as I mentioned the Passover festival, when the children of Israel would take the blood of a lamb and put it over the door and death would pass over their house. And thus the firstborn would be saved and Israel were then set free to go to the promised land. So the death of Christ is applied to our hearts so that our sins are forgiven. And the punishment and the justice of God that should have been brought towards us, death passes over because the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. No one in this room is worthy of heaven. Not one of us is good enough. If we put all our good works together, we couldn't get one of us in. But his blood makes it possible for all to come. All to come. In closing, have I said that already? Because if I did, I didn't mean it. In closing, and I mean it, I would make a promise to anyone here who's not a Christian that if you begin to walk towards him, he will not do this. He'll do this. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest from what? From the penalty of sin. The forgiveness of God. And from that moment, you are eligible for rivers of living water. You've listened and you've watched others sing and worship God. And you've thought, what's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. Rivers of living water. Let's pray. You've listened ever so well. Father, I thank you, first of all, for the courtesy I've received today and the welcome. But Lord, I pray, first of all, for anyone here who does not know you. I pray, Lord, that before this day is over, they will invite you to forgive them their sins. And they will seek to be your followers we pray, Lord, that they'll make themselves known to us, if that is the case, that we might pray for them and support them and make them feel part of the family of God. And Lord, for those of us who are Christians here, may we also ask ourselves the question, are rivers of living water flowing from within us? Amen. Thank you for listening. Bless you.